2: God in human flesh, Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Coming in that way makes no logical sense to us, but then He is God. He knows all things and is more intimately aware of the future than you and I are of our very present time right now. And so often as he works out his plan, as he works out his purposes in our lives, we don't always agree with how things are going in that present time.
0: Sometimes God's ways do not make sense to the limited human mind. Who would ever guess, for instance, that God himself would take on the form of flesh and enter the world as a tiny fragile baby. However, it was through Abba's plan that we receive forgiveness of sin and eternal salvation. In today's message, Pastor David teaches us that no one can understand the mind of God. His ways are not our ways. However, the Lord's plan is perfect and His timing is always right. Now here's Pastor David with part one of today's message entitled, God's Bizarre Plan.
2: Well, the hymn was written somewhere around 1770. Now, that, that, that allows it to be classified as an old hymn, okay? A couple of hundred years old. The, it was written by a man by the name of William Cowper, and we've shared his story in the past, an interesting story on the man. But the words of the hymn that I'm speaking about this morning may be familiar to some of you, maybe not to others. The words are, God moves in a mysterious way, his wonders to perform. He plants his footsteps in the sea, and he rides upon the storm. If there's one thing that I want you to understand this morning in the message that we'll be looking at today, is that God often moves in ways and in manners that that many times, in fact I would say probably most times, we really don't understand. We don't understand how he's doing, what he's doing, when he's doing it, and why he's doing it many times. God sets in motion particular plans and purposes and events that, that, that many times make absolutely no sense at all to you and I while we're in the midst of it. Think about it for a moment with me. You'd have to admit that, that Jesus came into the world in a very peculiar way. I mean, really. God coming in human flesh, that that's strange enough that God himself would break through eternity, come into this temporary mode of mortality, put on himself, human flesh. Very peculiar. But to add to that, the fact that he would come into the world as a small, very fragile, very vulnerable baby. Now, that's just downright bizarre. God could have done it any other way. He could have simply shown up on on the scene as a full man right there, but he didn't. He came as a small child, and that, to me, is kind of bizarre. The dictionary defines bizarre this way, markedly unusual in appearance, style, or general character, and often involving unexpected elements, outrageously strange. I love that. Outrageously strange. And God moves in outrageously strange ways. When he moves and he works, we don't know what's going on. And it wasn't just how he came. It's also where he came. That was rather bizarre. The fact that the timing was be during that time of taxation to where he would have to come, uh, where Mary and Joseph would have to come down to this old little town of Bethlehem. The fact that there wasn't any room there in Bethlehem even for him to be born, that he had to be born in a stable back in, in a feeding trough. That's bizarre. That's strange. That makes absolutely no sense to our human logic at all. I mean, think of it this way. If you were to get the notice that the Queen of England was going to come and visit your house on a particular day, at a particular time, and you were anticipating, you were waiting for the Queen of England to show up. So you would be looking down your street. You would expect there to be probably some big limousine with a large entourage of people around her, security forces everywhere, perhaps even air support, just security. You would anticipate that. You would expect that. You'd be waiting for that. But while you're waiting for that, suddenly you see turn down your street A 1973 Chevy Vega. That's a little beat up. Needs a paint job really bad. The tires are fairly well worn on this thing. The engine sounds like it's a, a diesel that's out of tune. It's knocking so bad, and it's blowing smoke out of the back end of it. And that particular 73 Vega pulls into your driveway, and you're thinking, no, no, don't come now. I'm expecting the queen. And out of this vehicle is this older lady, comes out, she's got faded blue jeans on, some raggedy-looking tennis shoes, and this oversized sweatshirt. That can't be the queen. You, You wouldn't expect the queen, you wouldn't anticipate the queen. That would make absolutely no sense for that woman to be the queen of England. But the king of glory showed up in a very similar way. And that's why so many were surprised that the king would come born in a stable in that little town of Bethlehem. Truly, it just wouldn't fit for the queen to come. And it just doesn't fit in our human logic that the king of glory would come and be born in a stable. God in human flesh Jesus Christ, the Son of God, coming in that way makes no logical sense to us. But then he is God. He knows all things and is more intimately aware of the future than you and I are of our very present time right now. And so often as he works out his plan, as he works out his purposes in our lives, we don't always agree with how things are going in that present time. But as I've also shared with you in the past, the problem that we have is that we don't remember the past very well. We don't understand the present very well. And we have absolutely no clue what the future is in reality. We might make plans, but we don't know what tomorrow is going to bring. That's why it's so important in our lives to trust our lives, every aspect of our lives to God in every way trust Him, and to be obedient to Him even in the hard times. When you look at, at, at the ways and at the actions of God throughout time, you've got to realize, you've got to agree with me that there are many bizarre directions that His plan has gone. And when I say bizarre, they're strange, they're unexpected, they're not what we would have figured, not in our logic. Take, for instance, the situation with Noah. Noah! All the world was wretched and unrighteous. And God pointed to this man, Noah, and says, Noah, you and your family, I'm going to save. And the way I'm going to do it is, Noah, you're going to build this big boat. Why didn't God just take Noah and said, Noah, come up with me for a while. Or I'm going to destroy everything. I'm going to start all over. God could have done that. That's kind of a God thing. But he didn't do it that way. He, said, he took a man and said, you will build a boat. And it took that man 120 years to build that boat. And during that time, he was, treat, he was preaching about the reality of a coming judgment that would be on humanity. 50 years building the boat. There's a coming judgment. That's what you've said for 50 years, Noah, it hadn't happened yet. 75 years. There's coming judgment. There's coming judgment. God is going to destroy the world. That's what you've been saying for 75 years, Noah. It hasn't happened yet. 120 years. God's going to bring a flood. You realize that, that most scholars look and they don't believe that it even rained on the earth until the time of Noah's flood and the, and the cataclysmic events of our whole environment and our whole system from that point in time started the, the rain showers and the circulation that we have. So how in the world would God flood? What a strange thing that God would do to bring judgment, but also to bring salvation through one man building a boat and then bringing judgment on the rest of the world through a flood. How about the way that he spoke to Abraham? Abraham, a man living in in Ur of the Chaldees, a pagan area, and he comes and pulls that one man out and says, Abraham, come and I'm going to show you a land that you've never seen before, and it's going to become your land. Oh, and by the way, Abraham, through you, I am going to bless all the nations of the earth. And through you, your descendants are going to be numbered as the sands on the shore or as the stars in the heaven, Abraham. Through you, I'm going to do that. Oh, and by the way, Abraham, that son that you have, sacrifice him to me. Wait a minute. That that doesn't make sense. You would think that Abraham would have had dozens of children if his his descendants were going to be that huge and then that vast, but no, God gave him that one true son, Isaac, and then he says, come and sacrifice him to me. That's strange. That's bizarre. That's unexpected. That's not what our logic would say. The fact that he even picked the nation of Israel, this small, this insignificant as, as, as they were, as unfaithful as they were, as bullheaded as they were, as stiff-necked as they were, as often as they turned their backs on God and went the other way, as often as he had to bring discipline and punishment upon them because of their disobedience, and yet God continues to work and move in their life to allow them to be dispersed as a nation at one point in time for about 70 years, and then in 70 A.D. to wipe the whole nation out again And to keep them separated for 2,000 years until 1948 brings them back together as a nation. That's strange. That's peculiar. That's odd that God would do that. But he did it because it's God working. And we've already touched on the reality that he sent his son as a baby to live a human life, to suffer, to die on the behalf of those who had rejected him in order to be able to secure our salvation. How strange how mysterious are the ways of God. And then, as Jesus ascended into heaven, he leaves his entire earthly ministry and the future of that ministry in the hands of a group of men that, well, to put it in theological terms, they were a bunch of knuckleheads, okay? You've got to understand that when you read the Gospels, these guys, they, they, they failed in so many areas, so many ways. And yet that's the ones that were left in charge of the kingdom. I think you have to agree with me, God moves in a mysterious way, his wonders to perform. If we're honest with ourselves and with God, we'd have to admit the fact that God usually doesn't move in the way that most of us are even comfortable with. But then again, As he told us through Isaiah, the prophet, he said, My ways are not your ways, and neither are your thoughts my thoughts. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so are my ways and your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. You see, God is God, and we are not. Amen? We ought to be really happy about that. So with that understanding, with that knowledge, that God's going to move in ways that don't make logical sense to us, He's going to work in ways that, man, seem really odd and really bizarre. Let's look at our passage this morning in Luke chapter 6. It's that portion in Luke where Jesus picks those 12 men out of all the other followers and calls them as apostles. We're in the gospel according to Luke. We're in chapter 6. We continue on in our study beginning in verse 12. In verse 12, we read this. Now it came to pass in those days that he went out to the mountain to pray, and continued all night in in prayer to God. And when it was day, he called his disciples to himself. And from them he chose twelve, whom he also named apostles, Simon, whom he also named Peter, and Andrew his brother, James and John, Philip and Bartholomew. Matthew and Thomas, James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon called the Zealot, and Judas the son of James, Oh, and Judas Iscariot, who also became a traitor." Thus far in our studies in Luke, Jesus has moved on in his ministry, working in a multitude of ways as multitudes of people were following him. He would minister in the synagogues. He would speak out in the open along the seashore, along the mountainside, ministering, healing, uh, touching lives in, in every aspect and in every way. And in the midst of this, he was drawing attention to the kingdom of God as he spoke and as he ministered to the people that came and followed him. We've already seen that there's oftentimes that as he's ministering to the masses of people, that he would have to break away from them for a time of refreshing, a time of renewal, a time of reconnection and communion with the Father. He would break away from the crowds and go and pray. But here just as we read in verse 12. It's not just simply getting away for an hour or two. This time, it says that Jesus continued all night in prayer to God. You know, there's times in our lives when just a moment or two of prayer is really necessary. Oh God, help me. That, that's, that's Sometimes that's a very valid prayer right in the midst of something that's going on. There's other times that we extend our prayer, and we make intercession or supplication for others, and we may extend that time of praying with family or with friends. Sometimes it's called for even a deeper prayer that maybe we call the congregation to, to pray together. We come together for particular needs, and we go into extended times of prayer. There are those times that are necessary. But then there are also times uh, of what Charles Spurgeon called protracted prayer. And this is, as he says, it's times for extraordinary supplication. In a message given by Spurgeon to the Metropolitan Tabernacle back in 1868, Spurgeon spoke of the, in the context of this particular scripture passage here, chapter 6 of Luke, verse 12. And this is what he shares with this congregation. I think it was pretty valid for us this morning. He says that Jesus was about to choose 12 apostles. And before that solemn act of ordination was performed, he sought power for them from the Most High. Who can tell what blessings were granted to the 12 in answer to that midnight intercession? Christian, speaking to the congregation, Christian, If you enter upon a new enterprise or engage in something that is weightier and more extensive than what you have done before, select a day or a night and set it apart for special communion with the Most High. If you are to pray, you must work. But if you are to work, you must also pray. If your prayer without your work would be hypocrisy, Your work without prayer would be presumptuous. So see to it that you are especially in supplication when especially in service. Balance your praying and working. And when you have reached the full tail of one, do not diminish any of the other. So our work and our prayer go hand in hand. Whatever that work might be, the need to be led and directed by prayer is also there. Spurgeon understood that there will be these reoccurring seasons within our lives as believers, that we need to tarry, that we need to plead, we need to intercede, we need to wait, we need to listen to the Lord in extended times of prayer. And here the Savior gives us an example of that. And if he gives us an example of it, shouldn't we also be followers Of that example. Here Luke tells us that finally, after that night of prayer in verse 13, he says that when it was day, he called his disciples to himself, and from them he chose twelve whom he also named apostles. Well, by this time, there was multitudes of people that were following Christ. And as I've shared before, I, I understand and that, that many, many within those multitudes, they were there for the, the free lunch program and the free health care, okay? He's gonna heal my diseases. He's gonna feed us. I, I know that. I understand that. But I also believe that among those multitudes, there was a great amount of people that just desired to hear the words of the kingdom of God. They desired to know what God was doing, and how their lives could be a part of that. They were true followers. They were disciples of Jesus Christ. They heard the words of the kingdom. They desired to live their lives, and there was a multitude of those also. Well, out of that multitude of disciples, the ones that were hungry for the things of the kingdom of God, Jesus chose the twelve. And those who were called were then called into even a deeper relationship, a deeper commitment, and yes, a deeper responsibility. But I want you to realize this morning, these men, these 12 men that were chosen from among the multitude of disciples, do you realize that none of them were chosen because of any trait that they had, or any characteristic that they had, or any talent or ability that they had. No, they were chosen because God chose them. Do you think that God really needs your talent to do his work? Do you think that God really needs your resources to be able to carry on his plan? No. If we have these things, if we have talents, if we have resources, if we have abilities, he will use them when we surrender them into his care. And into his hand and leading. But please understand that these 12 men, they weren't called because they were anything special. They were simply called because God picked them. Oh, I know, the church through the years, we put these 12 men in stained glass. We put them up on pedestals carved out of marble. And we've, again, thought very special about them. But you and I, we need to realize these were normal men just like you and I. They had struggles, they had failures in their lives, they had issues in their lives, just like you and I. And yet God chose them for a special purpose, for his use. And who were they? Well, the word tells us, beginning in verse 14. Simon, who he also named Peter, and Andrew his brother, James and John, Philip and Bartholomew, Matthew and Thomas, James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon called the Zealot. Judas, the son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who also became a traitor. So during his night of prayer, it was the Father, I believe, who gave him instruction and direction. And when you think of who he chose to leave the future of the the church to, 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 to leave the message of the gospel to, to leave the work of the kingdom to, because he knew he was only going to be here for a while, let's face it, None of these guys would have passed any of our Human uh, uh, Resources Department's uh, uh, check. We we look at these guys and we understand there's nothing that stands out among these guys that we would be drawn to them. And yet God in his wisdom chose purposefully and correctly the men who would be Jesus' closest companions during his earthly ministry, knowing full well that one of them would be used by the devil to come against him and to betray him. And yet he chose him as one of the apostles. Do you realize that? That's bizarre. That's strange. That's odd. That's outside of our logic. Let's face it, if you had a company and you were choosing your 12 top people and you knew that one guy was a major backstabber and he would sell you out in a heartbeat, would you pick that guy to be one? No, that would be odd. That'd be strange.
0: We can all remember the marketing campaign WWJD, What Would Jesus Do? While this became somewhat cliche, the concept behind it is crucial. In each and every circumstance, we need to consider not only what Jesus would do, but what he did do when he was here on Earth. As Pastor David teaches through the Gospel of Luke, we'll see exactly what Jesus did. We're sure today's message has been a blessing to you. Maybe you'd like to get a copy of today's message. Here's Tracy with all the information you need.
1: Life these days moves fast. From one appointment to the next, most of us race through our days with blinding speed. Those in-between moments are great opportunities to connect with God by hearing from Him. To hear more encouraging words from God's Word through the ministry of Pastor David, go to TheOpenWord.com and click on the Teachings page.
0: Thanks, Tracy. Again, to secure your own copy of today's message, simply log on to TheOpenWord.com and select the Teachings page. You can also give us a call if you'd like. That number to call is 520-836-9676. That's 520-836-9676. Another option to get in touch with us is to send us an email. Our email address is info at theopenword.com. Once again, you've been listening to The Open Word with Pastor David Landry of Calvary Chapel in Casa Grande, Arizona. In the next edition of The Open Word, David will continue teaching through the Word of God. So please make plans to join us again, and may God richly bless you.
1: Make us